Hi everyone, I'm Shabri and this is the Everything is Sales podcast by Casper. This week I sit down with Matthew Blanchard from Varison, GM of EMEA, and we'll be talking about what sales reps need to do to make themselves recession proof. We talk about how to deliver change management and difficult messages internally, how to shift your messaging externally to prospects and customers in an increasingly difficult environment, and the evolving role of the account executive. I hope you enjoyed this podcast as much as I did. Let's get into it. Well, welcome, Matthew, uh, to the podcast today. Thank you so much for joining. Um, I've been really excited to, um, to have this conversation. And when we were talking about uh, topics, you were one of the first people that came to mind. Um, you built such an incredible team and region at Barrison um, and really looking forward to hearing your ideas and sharing your insights um, on some of the things that I think are top of mind for leaders today, um, but not just leaders, but also sales reps as well. Um, so we're going to talk through, I think, some of the things that are um, are really prevalent at the end of year for a lot of companies. Um, and we're going to talk about how sales leaders and, and reps can thrive in you know, in spite of what's going on externally. Um, so before we before we dive in, um, why don't you introduce yourself to uh, to everyone who's listening, and we'll go from there. Sure. So hi everybody. My name is Matthew Blanchard. I'm the general manager for Varison here in EMEA. Um, been in this role since it came out of IBM, and was with IBM for about four years prior to that. So love the sales effectiveness space, and love the opportunity to help people plan and automate in a more effective way. Brilliant. Thank you. Um, I'm so excited for this. So I guess um, before we, we go into some of the questions and comments that we've heard from people, um, how's the end of year been, been for you right now and your team? It's been, it's, been intri- it's been an interesting end of year. I think that no matter what the press say, uh, people are still buying technology. People are still going through sales cycles, but the le- level of diligence is increased significantly. So If we look at some of the sales processes we're looking to conclude at the moment, where we thought we would have one layer of approval and a signatory off the back of it, you're now having that that audit committee checking and double stamping to make sure that it is actually something that is on the roadmap for next year because it seems the opportunity to spend is still there. We just want to make sure it's the cert. We want to make sure of the certainty that what we're spending on is going to change the behaviour of the business in a way that gives us the the agility to move, independent of what happens in the economy. And how have your teams managed that that change in sales process, almost, and that change in, in buyer journey? I think um, how it's been it's been a learning curve. I wouldn't say that anything has happened that has enabled us to come up with a a single golden bullet. I think that the way that people are leveraging the process of the sales cycle and questioning more frequently, utilizing relationships to understand what's going on inside of people's businesses are the the key components to it. Because ultimately, we're humans. Humans don't like change. So as a salesperson, if you've got to change the way in which you uh, undertake an interaction with your potential buyer, you then have to change the way in which they work internally as well, because they may not understand certain sign-off processes. We have to help them on that road. And so that change element isn't just on the sales side of the business, it's on on the buying side of the business as well. So I think what we've been trying to do is is make sure that on each interaction our sellers are having or that even our business development reps are having with net new prospects, it's understanding the steps they think they've got to go through to enable them to execute on what they think is going to be the final outcome. I love that. 
Um, and one of the things that you said was the uh, diligence is going up. And, and I, I've been saying this for about a year now, but the kind yeah. of either reintroduction or introduction from procurement playing a part. Um, and I hear from um, sellers that actually selling to procurement is quite challenging. And um, how much have you seen of procurement playing a role within the virus and sales cycle? I'd say that procurement are coming back. Um, I think the, the challenge is procurement have a job. And that is to save the company as much money as possible and to reduce the risk. And so at a time where economies are shrinking and uh, companies are potentially not seeing the best returns at the end of the year, procurement have a bigger role to play. And so therefore, they're trying to take a bigger chunk out of companies like ourselves. I think the key thing is, is it comes back down to relationships. So something that we've talked about even in a um, even in a good economy, relationships enable you to get sales completed in a way that is beneficial for all parties. Understanding the value that your product or your technology brings to your partners that you're working with and your customers then enables them to help you um, work alongside procurement to protect the value that they're going to see from it. Because people never wake up and say, I want to buy an incentive compensation management technology. No, I've, I've never had that. I'd love to, but never had that. What they wake up and understand is, is I need to have a better way of executing my strategy and to drive a behavior. And now the tangible component is what's important to the business owner, not yeah. procurement. Procurement cares about the cost. So you have to understand what your value is to your, your business sponsor to help to help mitigate some of those procurement conversations. But they are like we're seeing at the moment, procurement are going to be there for the, the long term. Understanding how you can work with them, with your sponsors and with your champions is the way that you can help mitigate the impact that they will have. Yeah, I, I, you're spot on. I mean, you've, you've said that so well about, you know, no one wakes up thinking, you know, I want to buy, you know, that platform today, I want to buy a sales engagement platform today. It's actually the pain that they're, that they're feeling and are they even aware they're feeling that pain because because in the past you know I've sold to people and they actually don't even know that there's that's a challenge or that there's a solution um so I wanted to touch on that a little bit more and talk about the external messaging um how do you how do you sort of position your product as a an essential to have not a nice to have because no one buys things that are, are nice to have right we kind of act on on pain um so how do you how do you do that for for Varison? Yeah, it's a great question. So I think the challenge for us is, as I say, nobody wakes up and goes, I need to automate compensation. But if you think about what we do is we help organizations drive a desired behavior. So whether that be in the telco world where they want to sell additional products to line rental that they that they sell, whether it be in a uh, luxury goods domain where they're looking to sell more products to that same consumer because if you have somebody in a store it's easier to sell to them than to get them to come back what our technology does is it enables the front-end person to have true real-time understanding as to what that interaction or what that sale could make to that person and if you align the compensation plan to the desired outcome you want which could be net new revenue for sales it could be customer retention for contact center staff it could be meetings for BDRs in other worlds. As long as you understand the clear correlation between the activity that you're trying to drive and the the activity you want to happen and the desired outcome, then what you can do is, is you can start talking about 
the needle and changing the needle for the metric that you're looking to move. So in our case at the moment, everybody wants revenue, but they want the right revenue. So it's a case of how do you drive revenue? We make sure that you understand what the profitability is on your product and the sales team understand what's best for the customer to sell, to sell to the customer, not for the customer to sell. Otherwise, that'd be an even better sales team. Like the customer becomes a seller. Um, but also it allows you as a management team to then engage your staff on, on clear communication as to what it is the expectation is of them. Because at the moment, again, going through change, everybody hears uncertainty. They want transparency on what is going to be driving the behavior. So when we think about our technology, we create what we call a business value assessment, which looks at eradication of um, unnecessary costs, increase revenue, and decrease or a decrease of uh, the decrease of incorrect payments. Because typically, most people that aren't using an automated compensation technology are using an Excel spreadsheet, and that's prone to human intervention and therefore prone to errors. There's, as we found with Boris and the COVID rates when it first came out, <laughs> as zero gets added, it means that the part of the press can talk about it. Imagine that in a sales world. So that's what we're able to do. Also, we take away the audit risk. So if I now categorize the values that's associated with each of those specific metrics and I go to a CFO and I ask the question, what it is, what is it that you're trying to do to drive your business into 2024? And he says, I need to increase revenue and decrease costs. Perfect. I can help you by making sure that you are eradicating costs from these areas, but making sure that all your people have transparency in these areas, reducing all of this. And so I'm playing to his world using his terms with his data, his or her data. Yeah. And it's speaking their language. And I, there's so much on LinkedIn right now about kind of use of terminology that are just buzzwords, right? Like, like yes. I think there's someone said something about just how would you explain this to your mother, grandmother, you know, your four-year-old nephew, how would you explain this in kind of learning terms? Um, so when you did this sort of shift in messaging, how did you as a leader sort of walk your teams through, this is how we're going to position what we what we do and how we can add value? Yeah, I, th I think that's a great question. And I think that the reality we found was that we've always done it. It's just we've never formalized it. So we'd always had salespeople having that communication, but we, we'd never actually written down the steps to do it. So we'd undertaken Medic as the principle that supports all of our sales cycles, but we hadn't necessarily formalized how we then created that business value back to our clients and back to our customers. So what we did was we actually formalized that process and then walked them through how, if somebody was to approach myself with that mantra, what the impact would be to the communication and the interaction they'd have with me. And then off of the back of it, when people started to see the value just inside of our own world with technologies we'd look to purchase, it was like a light bulb moment. This is actually going to accelerate my sales cycle in a period where everybody thinks it's going to elongate due to macro and uh, global economies. Yeah. And and for people who are doing this for the first time, um, you have medic in place, but I guess for companies who are maybe smaller or who have a less formal um, methodology how would you recommend that they they approach that I think I think get it down on paper whatever you think the process is get it down on paper because it's it's like when you go to build a building you you look at a house and you forget that the first part of building a house is actually the foundation you can't but you can't elevate unless unless you go down and it's the same with your business you can't actually tell people where you want them to stand and where you want them to move 
without that solid foundation. So formalizing it and making sure you as a management team understand it enables you all to communicate in the same way, which therefore means that everybody gets the same answer when it comes to questions, because with change, questions come. It's how you then make sure you provide that confidence and comfort to the relevant team members that are delivering this message on your behalf, or, or in this case, utilizing this tactic to change the sales cycle. So because of that, you need to make sure that it's written down. If you don't write it down, too many Chinese whispers. Yeah, that's an excellent analogy. I'd never thought about it like that. But as you say that, I think there are so many people who are like, I want a sales methodology. And actually, you kind of look at what they've got and they, they don't even have the kind of basics of you know a qualification criteria or even mapping out who their economic buyers are you can't have that that whole piece without even having some of the small components no and I think if I look back at my my career um, I've had the luxury of working with some great sales leaders and then some not so good sales leaders but that what what I found is is that if we don't put things down we do things trial by error and so yeah. we try something and then we lose time and then we try to pivot and then we lose time. And by losing time, what we actually do is, is we lose the trust of the most important things, which is our resource. Because if we can't direct clearly and if we can't give an understanding as to why we're making them run in the direction that they are, yeah. they, they lose the desire to work with us. And therefore, we have churn and we have cost that's associated with it. And then we have an upskill problem. So actually, by doing this and making sure we understand it once, we still have the ability to, to change and um, to direct it a different way. But it's not such a big change. And people don't question the little things. It's fine tuning. I think what you just said will resonate with a lot of people who are listening, um, you know, where you've got a sort of more directive leader who's saying, you know, Matthew, this is how we're going to do things from tomorrow. And actually not understanding the why, you can't bring people on that journey with you. No. Humans need to be guided in that way, right? Yeah, 100%. And if you, think about, if you think about anything that you did when you grew up at school, whether it was football, my, my nephew plays rugby, um, the first thing that kids do when they play football is, is they all run after the ball because nobody gives them a clear direction because kids at the age of four and five don't understand that if you stay spread across the park, you can evenly distribute things. Same inside of your business. If we take it back to its simplest form, is communication is so key. To making sure that our businesses work but understanding what you're communicating is so important to that being useful because you can talk and you can have internal meetings and you can kill them by zoom by death if you want but the reality is if you're not utilizing the right messaging and if it's not clear as to why you're messaging it's irrelevant yeah a hundred percent and i think to get people on that journey with you you've got to kind of lead from the heart and the head right yeah. bringing people on that journey with you um, not just this is what we're doing and and actually I've always wanted to know why right and that's really important for me um so there's a lot that you touched on there we've talked about the external messaging um I want to shift slightly to the internal messaging which you which you briefly touched on um the last few months I think have been quite challenging budget cuts hiring freezes you know um, people realizing that it's going to be harder to buy a house all that sort of difficult stuff right um cost of living going up. And um, with difficult internal messages, so things like hiring freezes, how have you handled some of that trickier, trickier messaging when delivering that to your team? I think it, it, there's no easy way to do it. And that, that's the thing that's behind it. There isn't an easy way to give people bad news. 
But if you give people bad news and you enable them to understand why you're giving them the news you are, it's easier for them to consume. There's not the negative connotation that comes with it. So with any decision that we make, we make sure that we as an organization um, on on a Thursday have an internal town hall where our CEO gives feedback to the entire company as to what's happening and why. Now, it won't always be to the level of detail that we're talking about here, but having that level of transparency into our business means that when we do make these these decisions and we justify as to why we're doing it and we talk about the long-term goals and objectives that we're all striving towards together to get to that point, it's easier. We we haven't been in a position yet where we've had to make... um, employment freezes because of our, our continued growth. So what we've done is, is probably about seven months ago, we made some business decisions that mean that we wouldn't grow as fast as we anticipated we would. But what we are doing is, is we're still growing. Uh, year over year, I think it's 46.7% inside of Europe alone from net new customer acquisition. But what we're doing is, is we're making sure we're, we're doing what we call a no, no risk acquisitions of hiring. We're making sure that we're hiring in the right areas. We're making sure that we're doing the right things. And even with people that we have inside of our business where we can't do things that we, we originally once said we were going to as part of our initial roadmap, we're talking about how we are going to do that in the future, but the, the plan to get to that point. Because the reality is, is if in, in history every recession ends, everyone does, it's the period of time that the recession typically takes. And so in this time, BDRs are going to be more important because of the fact that Actually, a BDR's job isn't just to get meetings. It's to talk about the brand awareness inside of a difficult or heavily populated environment. A regional salesperson or a sales manager is always going to be a necessity for a business. Their job is going to get harder because of the the buying process that we talked about. Marketing is still going to be a necessity. Operations, all of these roles are still going to be needed to a business. But if we can make sure that as we are growing, we're giving them the tools that they require but with a clear programmatic view as to what is going to happen and what our intention is within 12, 18, 24 months, then it makes that that news that you're delivering slightly easier because they understand what's what's going to go through it in their head. There's not that negative adversity to, am I going to get made redundant because of all the things I'm seeing on LinkedIn? Am I going to lose my job because of all the things I'm seeing in the newspaper? Clear, concise messaging in a, in a way that's communicated frequently stops all of that. Unlike what I've just said there, where I rambled on for ages. <laughs> I think the one word that, that really stood out to me there is frequently. Um, and I actually break down the fact that your CEO does weekly town halls. I mean, that's amazing. I've worked for companies before where the CEO did quarterly town halls. If he couldn't make it, he'd send the CFO, that, you know, that type of thing. So the fact that your CEO is invested in that level, I think I'm sure speaks volumes to the employees there um so i think frequency is really important and i think the other thing that you um that you said that stood out is even if you do have a freeze you're having a freeze but you're still growing right i think the difficult message to pass on is you know we're doing worse than we were last quarter we're doing worse than we were last year and people do assume that if there is a freeze or there is cuts, but it's because the company is doing badly and everyone will always think that they're next. Um, so have you had, and I guess, you know, candidly speaking, have you had, you know, your team's dip in motivation, um, not just because of the internal stuff that's going on, but the external stuff? And if so, how have you managed that? Yeah, I think, I think that's a common thing. If you look at the last three years, 
So yeah. we, we Varison, actually left IBM on the day that Boris Johnson decided to shut the country down. So everybody went from a big social organization into a work from home independently in the net new world. And so the mental fatigue that went in for two and a half years working from home and Zoom meetings only for new employees onboarding, it, it was it was hard. And what we ended up having to do was we had to, and, and this is why we, I keep using the word communication, we had to make sure that the, the way in which we speak to people and the way in which we interacted with our teams, it, it shows them that we are there with them. Um, the the situation we've gone through with COVID and what we're going to go through in this recession is going to lead to a huge amount of mental fatigue. It's It's going to add anxiety. It's going to add panic attacks to people, something that I've suffered with myself in the past. So understanding that, means that I now know how I would expect to be treated if, if there was something going on. So with our teams inside of our business, we've had people that have been impacted by things that have gone on in Ukraine. We've had people that have been impacted by things inside of the UK. But making sure you show your support, giving them a clear area to focus on, because sometimes your mind needs that focus, something that's deliberate, something that gives them a goal and objective so they see success. Because when you hear about adversity and when you hear about negativity, giving them something that makes them go, wow, I did that, gives you that little pat on the back. And those little, little wins then stem into something big. Yeah. I think you, I think as you were just talking through the last two and a half years, I think we forget how much has happened, um, you know, in the UK, outside of the UK. And, and on top of that, the kind of day-to-day things that people are going to be dealing with in their lives, irrespective of what's going on outside, right? So I think it is a difficult time. Um, what advice would you give reps who are going through some of that stuff? We've talked about the leader angle. So if if you're, you know, if we've got AEs listening, SDRs listening, and they're, um, they're in an organisation that is going through redundancies, um, you know, that fear kicks in of, am I next? What advice would you give to the individual contributors that, that might be listening? Yeah, I think the key thing is, you never know if you're next. So why worry about something that you don't necessarily know? Don't let fear hold you back. I was at one of um, one of the sales confidence events and I heard, listened to a young lady called Becky. And she, she said, use the fear in a positive way. Use the fear of what the outcome may be to drive you to go and make the additional calls to prove to people that you shouldn't be next. Because the only body, the only person that can control what happens next is you. The business may have to make decisions, but fundamentally, there's still going to be other jobs out there. There will be. Like, look on the boards. People are still hiring. But don't let fear rule your life. Ask for the help that you need to make sure you can be a success and basically manage what you can manage. Yeah. I think it's I think that's that fear in a positive way control what's in your controllables. So we, we did a podcast a few weeks ago with Christopher Hatfield and he was saying, you know, you can only control what's in your you know, your world of control. So write a list down of what can I control, what can't I control? And then you can you can control if it does happen to you, you can control how you react to it or how you bounce back from it. Um but you can't control whether a company is going to, you know, and I've seen this happen. I've seen companies get rid of their whole SDR team in the last. And so if you're one of those SDRs, there's not going to be something, unfortunately, that you can do that's going to, going to, going to change that. No, but if you, if you then think about it, think about that. Every, when one door shuts, another door opens. That's life. 
what you have to do is is utilizing the skills that you've learned there put yourself to be most um attainable to other companies so become a, a critical part to their business because yeah. an sdr is, is the stepping stone for getting into other roles into businesses so inside of our, our world we use sdrs to then become regional sales managers that become partner managers that then go into operations in some cases look at the skills you have and think about what do i want to do because 12 months isn't isn't a huge amount of time and 12 months will probably be the the longevity of the recession yeah. um, as we start to see the kick again so think about take into account what it is that you want to do long term because we're here for such a short period of time and 12 months and that fear is not going to drive your life forever like i think you mentioned something there control the controllables I, one of the sessions i had with a mentor was matt you never write anything down you're so busy all the time you never write anything down and so i started to write down in a book what i had to get done in a day and i got frustrated because i never get it all done but actually what that showed me is, is i needed to start saying no to certain things to enable me to be better at other things and that's the same thing that can happen with these types of roles. So if an SDR function gets shut, you to look at the transferable skills. Look at what else you could be doing inside of a business. Make your organization aware of the fact that you would like to look at career development into operations, into regional sales management, into other areas, because other doors will open as some close. I, I, I like that. I, I think that's important, which is, you know, if something bad happens now, we tend to focus on that emotion and that feeling of what's happening now, not about, okay, it's hard, right? But if you if you do get into your business, I guarantee that in two years' time, potentially, that you'll look back on that and you'll think, I got some resilience from that situation, or I learned how to deal with a difficult outcome, or I learned how to, whatever those things are, and it's not always immediately visible, but um, I think that's, that's great. I've been made redundant twice in my career, twice. And I had, could not control either. But what I did was I made sure that within the lessons that I learned through it, I got back up as quickly as I could because there was no point in me worrying about what I'd done in the past because I can't change the past. I can change my direct contribution in the future. Yeah. Look at what I can do next. Yeah. And and from those redundancies, um, what would you say to people? Like, how did you manage that? Um, what would you? What advice would you give to those people? That the younger Matt went and got drunk on the first one, and then realised <laughs> that that wasn't the best way to do it. <laughs> yeah, so don't don't do that. That's a bad idea. Um, <laughs> the, the first thing is is basically, I, I took the time to think about what I actually wanted to do. One of them, I was actually in a, a financial advisor um, in the subprime mortgage industry, and the in two thousand seven, the, the global market collapsed, so I had to change, and that's when I came into tech. I looked at the transferable skills and I looked at where the opportunity was for me to grow and be a success. And then I, I applied myself through learning and making sure that I made connections with people that could help me do that. So it was connections and then application as to what I needed to do to get to that point. Uh, I'd say that the key thing is, is make sure you understand what you want to do. Because if, if you want to be um, a BDR or an um, associate seller or however an organization may classify it, for 18 months you still 18 months comes and goes very fast make sure you understand yeah. what that is now because then if something bad does happen you know what you've got to do to get to that next step of your journey yeah brilliant i think that's really helpful um i want to shift slightly and we, we touched on it briefly um what i'm seeing is a lot of companies um with financial pressure um are feeling like they've overhired sdrs and they need to make layoffs and um, for whatever reason, it seems to be the SDRs that are going first with the kind of justification and rationale that AEs can do both 
both of those roles. So as a sales leader, um, do you think it's realistic and possible to forecast based on a rep doing 50% of both jobs? Um, or do you think that that's not, not feasible? Um, inside of my own business at the moment, I would say it's not feasible. And the reason for that, one, my, my sellers continue to tell me how busy they are, so I can't possibly get them doing any more or they'll all quit. But um, the, the, the other component is it's a different set of skills. If I want my team to be executing transactions, the repetitive, uh, and repetitive isn't the right word, the sequence that a business development rep or an AE goes through to get to the point where they get a meeting is a skill that they hone through practice. And so each interaction makes that communication that they have with our potential buyer better. If I give that to a regional sales manager and they do it for an hour and then they get busy and then they go and do other things, they don't put the dedicated focus to it, which means the prospect isn't engaged with what we're actually trying to sell. So my view is, is I, as a business leader, can't do that because it doesn't give me the best foot forward when it comes to me competing against my competition. Yeah. Okay, so so your concern as a leader, I think, are totally valid, right? So it's not even, oh, it's difficult to forecast. It's actually, it's a different skill set. Your sellers don't really have enough time and probably the easiest thing to neglect then is, is prospecting, right? Correct. And the thing is, is forecasting is kind of, forecasting is an art at the best of times. And if I don't have the right people in the right place, it, it, I, I could forecast whatever I wanted and it would still be wrong. But if I've got the right people working with me, I believe that we can achieve what the number is that's set in front of us. But I need to make sure that I have the right people with the right skills to enable one another. Because we don't win anything in this business. We don't win any deal as a single person. We don't. Like We have pre-sales teams. We have marketing teams. We have finance teams that help get us to that goal. And so if I take away the first part, which is how I fill the funnel, the rest of it doesn't happen. And so yeah. to me, that's why I think it's an essential part of our business and and why I don't believe that the forecasting part point is the, the key component of it. I, I believe that it's actually making sure you have the right people in the right places to make you as efficient as possible to deliver the number. Yeah, I I completely agree. I think that's a really good way of looking at it. Um, I was asked this question recently and um, I thought to myself, how many AEs really have got enough time to prospect I, I pose this i pose that question to my sales team at our qbrs six months ago and we we said our, our evp turned around and went in your diary if you look at the week you have 10 blocks so morning and afternoon 10 blocks how much business development work do you do do you as a sales representative do into your clients and each one of them said zero and he, he posed the question to them, why not? Because his view is that effectively you should be doing some of your own outbound work. And their, their comment was, at this point in time when I'm trying to execute on deals, actually I'm leveraging that time to make sure I know more about my clients yeah. so that I can then execute better and speak their language versus try and find net new. And when I heard that, it kind of resonated because you're thinking, if I take that time away, our execution or our conversion rate is actually going to decrease because yeah. we won't be speaking our, our customers' language and therefore we won't be as relevant when it comes to protecting the business value and so therefore our average deal value could come down. Yeah. So therefore to me, actually, that that 
key component of the skills that each person has inside of the business and playing to their skills means that you get the better outcome. That's that's what we're backing our business on. Okay, interesting. And I think it's it's going through that and understanding where you can make efficiencies in your sales process. Because I think there are things, you know, I think other things will then fall to the wayside. So updating sales, listening to phone calls, you know, preparing for, you know, deal reviews. I think there are so many other things. People just think AEs are there to close. No, there's so many of those other things, um, you know, researching your your buyers, all that sort of stuff. And if you add prospecting, something's got to give. Um, and, and my opinion on that is I think it also devalues the prospecting role. Because I think what I'm saying is this doesn't warrant a full-time person. We can have, you know, Matt, who's already closing anyway, do this. So let's just give him some prospecting to do as well. When I think it's such a key part of the sales process, like you said, if you don't have that, everything else is going to is going to is going to suffer. Um, so if if we have AEs who are listening, who have been asked to do this, um, what would you what would you suggest to them? I'd, I'd say look at their working week. Look at how many hours they actually have in their working week and look where they dedicate their time to. And yeah. show your management exactly what you do day in, day out. Because I think a lot of, based off of the experience that I've had in some of the largest um, technology companies in, in the world, there's a perception that AEs, like you say, simply close the business. But then they will be held, they will hold them to account for not forecasting correctly because you're 100% correct. CRM is the Bible for every business. But if you show them, okay, in a, in a working year, I have this many hours of work. This is dedicated to this. This is dedicated to that. This is what I do here. There's no way your manager is going to prioritize something above what you're already doing to give you business development work because business development work is much more. It's it's a it's a genuine role. It's not just a part time role. It's a genuine role. I actually started off as a business development person, making 120 calls a day. I moved into sales. I was told the same thing. And then when you're trying to do sales and everything together, it just it just doesn't work because your mind can't be clear on what your objectives actually are. But show your management team what you do day in, day out. Show them the interactions you're having. Show them the success that you've seen from the actions that you've did, the way in which you work, because you can't argue with success. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's 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 brilliant advice, like demonstrate why you can't do it as opposed to saying, you know, I just don't want to do it. I don't think it's my role So kind of um, going with evidence almost of, of why that isn't best for the business not just not just you okay brilliant well the last thing I wanted to kind of touch on is um is this phrase of the score takes care of itself and we've talked about this a little bit already is kind of um controlling the controllables um which you know we've talked about it's it's increasingly tough right now when there's a lot of pressure we're at the end of quarter end of year for a lot of companies there's a lot of noise um so the score takes care of itself, you know, kind of alludes to the fact that um, there are variables that you can and can't control. What do you think for individuals are those controllables that, that can be controlled? I think I think it's an interesting one because if I guess that if you look at a business, there's so many different roles where people are still having an impact on the end of year, as we're talking about now. If we're looking at salespeople. The, the key thing, the key emotion that I went through at this stage was, holy cow, I've got to get this done before Christmas because otherwise everyone's going to hate me for making them work between Christmas and New Year. But the reality is, is, is that all you can do is, is execute on what's in front of you. Understand the steps to close. 
Make sure that you've got the right people aligned to help you achieve those goals. Make sure it's clear and concise with mutually agreed activities. So that's your customer, that's your internal representatives, and that's yourself. Hold yourself accountable to them and then deliver on it. And then everything else that's around the rest of that's not included in that list of things that you've got to get done is is noise at this point in time. Focus on the things that you can you can actually control with a direct communication path with the, the relevant people and stakeholders so that they understand what's going to be required of them as well. Because this time of year, if you go to somebody with something that they don't expect, you're not going to get the answer you like. Yeah. So make make sure that they understand it's coming and give them clear line of sight. You won't be you won't be let down and you'll see the success come from it. If you get your customer to sign up to a closed plan the same way as what your internal stakeholders see, I, I believe there was a 72% success rate increase by just making sure it was formalized on a piece of paper in some of the studies that were done by Harvard. So making sure you have that is, is really, really critical to you. And if it's on a, if you're looking at it from a BDR perspective or a, um, a AE perspective at the moment, Take, take this opportunity. I, have to, I, read, I watched one of Tom Boston's videos this morning, which was hilarious, the video talking about uh, Sheila saying that she wasn't going to be back in the office until the 23rd of January. But um, <laughs> this, is, this is your opportunity to look at what's worked this year and to create a plan and to put the sequences in place ready for you to start hard next year. But remember, you've got to stand out because we as executives are going to be inundated with tons of emails, with different technologies wanting to talk to us. The only way you're going to make sure that you get visibility to help your regional sales managers in that next step is standing out, personalize, understand more about your client, leverage the time that you have to consume data that's going to make you stand out. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to, I'm going to put you on the spot there. You obviously, <laughs> you obviously get prospected all the time. Um, you're probably, you know, the right persona and ICP for a lot of people. Um what's the best prospecting um, outreach you, you've ever had? It was one that knew the rugby team I liked. It was one that, that, to be honest, it felt as if the person knew me. There was comments and phrases that I would use based off of what I'd written in my blogs and what I'd put on LinkedIn statuses. There was comments about my customers. And it was actually only four four sentences long. Hi, Matt. I love I love what you said about one of your customers on this day, it was really inspiring to see the feedback that they had in your case study. I noticed that Wasps played at the weekend. What seems as if it was a really bad game. I hope you didn't waste any time watching it. And I was like, oh, cheeky, like that. Then the next bit was about what they did. And actually, the person then phoned me 30 minutes after they sent that email, 30 minutes. And their number came up. And because it was on my phone that I read it, it came up with a person's name, and I picked it up specifically because of the fact there were so many personal touches. And what they did was they connected to one of my corporate goals, which is every one of us inside of our business is measured on culture and revenue. And so the technology they were talking about had a link to culture and revenue, and so I took the call. It's that, it's that personal element. It's making sure you know the person you're talking to, because I get some that are so awful. I, I had one the other week that was, dear blank, fill in name. I would like to talk to you about engagement platform. Would you be open? And I was like, what, what is the point? Don't put me in a sequence because I'm going to unsubscribe now and you've just lost the opportunity to do it ever again. Make sure, it's, make sure you do the right things, even the basics, but personalize it and you'll get the outcomes you desire. Yeah. I, I think the personalization thing is something we've been hearing for a while, um, but I think there's very, very few people that do it, that really do personalize, right? 
Um, and I think personalization goes beyond, you know, hi, Shabri, I see you went to university in Manchester. Like, okay, what is, what, what, do you know what I mean? And then the next, the next paragraph is about them and their product. It's like, okay, you've literally pulled out the easiest thing you could have done from my LinkedIn. Um, but it sounds like that, that was a really, really good example of, of standing out. I think I think take the time like <laughs> Shabri, you and I've worked with companies where we've got websites that are bigger than most people's encyclopedias. So go on there and actually familiarize yourself with the technology and what the person does. Read some of the anecdotal information about what customers say, because if you come to me with a quote from, say, one of my one of my clients as to what they've achieved and how your technology can do something similar for us, all of my customers are, success, are a success in my eyes. And why would I not take a call from somebody that's telling me that their technology can make my company as great as I've made somebody else's? That That's the thing that I think a lot of people miss is those case studies on people's websites are accolades about our organization's success. So why would I not pick up a call if something is going to make me better than somebody I hold in high regard? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really, really good point. Um but I, I've learned so much just from talking to you. I've written down pages of notes um, and I'm sure that everyone who's listening to this is, is going to have, have loved this as well. Um, so where can people find you? Where can people get in contact with you? And if it's someone is trying to prospect to you, then you've given them all of the, all of the tips on a, on a silver platter. Um, but where, where, what's the best way for people to reach out to you, Matt, if they want to learn more about Barrison? Yeah, sure. So obviously I'm available on LinkedIn. I'm fairly vocal and familiar with it. And at the same time, my WhatsApp number is out available. So feel free to contact me. I'm, I'm here to help people, whether it be in the form of um, our, what our technology can do, but also to help other people that are struggling because we I don't like to see people struggle. And so therefore, if you're asking for help, we're always here. Thank you so much. I'm sure there are lots of people who, who want to dig into some of the stuff that you've said, um, but you've, you've been amazing to chat to. Thank you for sharing all your, your insights and ideas. Thanks, Shabri.